Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. The interesting thing about that passage of Scripture for me is that because it immediately, I think, addresses the subject that was assigned. The assigned subject is, did Jesus know that he was divine? Did Jesus know? And if he did, when did he learn it? Did he know it from birth? And I say, no, he didn't. Remember, Jesus was fully human as well as the Son of God. And in this particular text, you get the first real strong hint that God has revealed to him who he really is. Because when Mary and Joseph were a day away from, it's, it's, let's put it like this, if you go from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, it's 65 miles. Then you have to go over to, from the, and there's a major highway that comes down through there. From Nazareth over to that is about 20-some miles. And so all total, they came pretty close to 90 miles because the, then they had to go from Jericho up to Jerusalem, which is several miles, another 15 miles or so. And the reason they didn't know that Jesus had stayed back in the temple is that the women always left around noontime and the, and the men who traveled faster came later. And they didn't know until that evening because one assumed that he'd stayed, Mary assumed that he'd stayed with Joseph and Joseph assumed that he had gone with Mary earlier in the day. That night at supper time when they sat down to eat supper together, they couldn't find him and so they had to turn around and come back. Now, their big point of scripture here that Rakisha read was when Mary and Joseph, or well, Mary in particular, chastised Jesus and said, you know, why did you do us this way? He then did something for the first, that's recorded in scripture the first time, and that's he let them know that he was not Joseph's son, that, he, that Joseph was his stepfather. And he said, you know, I must be about my father's business here in his house, the temple. And, and so we can assume from there that, and, and I'm assuming this, the scripture doesn't say this. I'm assuming that God had, re, had revealed it to him and that as he grew older, that it was what we call continued revelation. He, God revealed more to him as he grew older to the, to the time when he was, began his ministry. Jewish law forbade men to be preachers until they were at least 30 years old. I think we've got something to learn from that. I wish I had, uh, well, we probably shouldn't go there right now, but anyway, <laughs> that was the law. And so Jesus didn't begin his ministry until he was 30 in keeping the law. Because remember, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And so he was obedient to the law just as he was to his mom and, and his stepfather. So yes, Jesus was fully aware when he became an adult. Now, when you're 12 years old under Jewish law, you are recognized under the law as a man. In fact, 
when you when you went through this little exercise that that 12 year olds went through it you became known as a son of the law a son of the law that was a term that said now from now on you are responsible for not only knowing the torah but obeying it the torah being essentially the first five books of the old testament and they then began to memorize it word for word they were required as a son of the law to memorize the old testament first five books of the bible word for word and it was generally practiced that way among those who were serious about their faith now some of the things that i'm getting ready to say you probably haven't heard at least very often now if you're here last night you will you probably did but jesus in many of our churches today and in most of academia by that i'm talking about major universities even and we'll talk about this in a minute even in seminaries i talk about my own experience what has happened is that Jesus is generally recognized as a person who really did live because of writers like Josephus, who was a Jewish uh, historian at that time, military primarily, who mentioned him, and then another, there are some others too. But Jesus is generally recognized as being a real good guy that probably was adopted by God to be his spokesman at his baptism. Because most of the theologians and that are recognized all the world over, and some you may have heard of, the three most famous who finally came to the place where and said that Jesus it was just a man that was adopted by God to do his will like any other great prophet. The three great people that were recognized, all their names all start with a B. The one that you might recognize is Karl Barth. It's spelled B-A-R-T-H. And he actually visited the U.S. Emil Brunner was a Swiss theologian. And, uh, and then the one that I'll mention, uh, most importantly, was one called Rudolf Bultmann, B-U-L-T-M-A-N. Bultmann and, and Brunner in particular, Bart to a less extent, had real difficulty with any concept that, that is miracle. They believed, and I've tried to explain this to you in the past, that we live in what's called a closed universe which means, in 10 cent store language, that there is a, a cause, a natural cause for every effect. And so if you ask them, do you believe in miracle, they would say no. Anything that is recorded as a miracle is either a myth or a legend. And that's the terminology in, that Bultmann used. In fact, his book is entitled Demythologizing the Scripture. And so they have eliminated. So if you ask them, uh, do you believe in the virgin birth? They would say, yeah, we believe the Bible teaches the virgin birth. But that's not the question I ask. The question is, do you believe that Jesus was born of a woman without having intercourse with a man? And they would say, of course not. 
because there's a natural cause for it. And those theologians assume, now get this, assume that Jesus was probably the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier. Now, you don't hear much about this, do you? And the reason for that is because they believe in the, what they call the scientific method. And you'll, you, you'll hear this terminology used, especially with the COVID thing, that terminology used a lot. The scientific method, which assumes that there is a natural cause within the universe for every effect that eliminates the virgin birth. So you say, well, how can a guy say uh, that the Bible teaches it, but he doesn't believe it? It's because he doesn't believe the Bible. He says the Bible contains myth and legend and not the truth that will stand up under scientific law. So you, you have the scientific method being used here. When I was in school, after I graduated from, from Kentucky Christian, I went to Vanderbilt University at the, at the Divinity School. I never had one teacher at the Divinity School in Vanderbilt who believed that the Bible is the inspired, God-breathed Word of God. They all believed that it was a good book and that Jesus was a good guy and religion is a good thing. But they said, you know, but all religions are good and all religions contain myth and legend. And they, they define those things. Now, what that does, and Bultmann said this, he did not believe in the virgin birth. He did not believe in the divinity of Christ. He did not believe in the, uh, in the resurrection of Jesus. He did not believe in heaven, and he did not believe in hell. And yet, he is a teacher in the major seminaries in Europe, and all of my, they're called neo-Orthodox. All my teachers were all, in Vandy, were all neo-Orthodox. Now, what does that mean? Neo means new, orthodox means old. What they did is they, they used the old terms, but in their mind gave it a new meaning without telling the congregation. And nearly all of our major denominations today have been infected with this type of uh, false doctrine. It's a heresy, really. And so you need to be aware of that. Interestingly enough, then they, then they tried to explain what took place that, we, that the Bible refers to as God doing it as, as a miracle. They tried to then give an explanation that fits within their concept of a closed universe. For instance, the textbook that I used for the, in the first year at Vandy was written by a professor at Andover Newton Seminary, and, and his book was entitled A Light to the Nations, and it was an introduction to the Old Testament. One of the, I thought it was funny if it hadn't been so heretical, had to do with uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Here's Elijah up here with Mount Carmel, and all morning long he's having fun with the prophets of Baal who are trying to get Baal to accept their offering. And then he, then he comes along and, and, and puts his altar together, prays, and the thing is consumed by fire. Even this, the, the water in the ditch in front of it is soaked up in the heat of the fire. The professor Gottwald, Norman Gottwald, who has a Ph.D. in theology, taught at uh, 
at uh, several major universities, number one probably being at Columbia at the, in the seminary in New York City, Dr. Galtwell says, this guy Elijah was a clever fellow. What he probably did is he soaked everything there in naphtha and had a spark that lit it all up. It takes more, if you, if you listen to what they write, it takes more faith to believe in their heresy than it does this to accept the word of God as it's clearly and simply written. But you need to know, now why am I going through all this? It's because many of your youngsters who go to a state university are exposed to people who agree with everything that I've said concerning a closed universe. They simply do not. And so our young people who are exposed to this over a period of time when they get out of school drift away. Matthew says that that it's somewhere around 35% stay put, 60-some percent leave the church and don't come back. Why? It's because they have had an education that leads them to believe that the Bible really isn't true. It's just a storybook about a really good person, and, uh, and his name was Jesus. Now, they even go so far as to say that all of the fancy stuff, that uh, the miraculous stuff that Jesus did, the miracles and so on that he did, was probably added to the scripture somewhere around 150, 200 A.D. It was sneaked in to make it sound really good because they're trying to, trying to explain everything that would take and how it happened in a, in a closed universe. But as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians in a New Testament church, We believe at a given point in time, God penetrated our universe in the person of Jesus Christ, who was indeed born of a young woman who had never had sexual relations with a man. And we refer to that as the virgin birth. We believe that he died on a cross and was buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later he was resurrected. He came back to life. And if you read carefully the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, you will see that Paul makes reference to at least 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus and knew that he was alive. Now, what the liberals say, they, they come up with two or three different interesting theories. The, by liberals, I mean the people who believe in the closed universe and do not accept a miracle. They say, well, probably there was, a, and the Muslims say this too, that there was a, a look-alike, that, that, that Jesus, that hung on the cross and died. And Jesus was hid away, and so he then came around later. Now, see, what they're trying to do is explain what took place, eliminating God's presence, God's power, God's activity. Now, and, other, and, and can, if you can imagine this, some of them say that the apostles and the people who were there actually had a, an hallucination, and they go through into some of the ridiculous things, and where the fact of the matter is, there were people there who saw it, who wrote about it, and who were still alive 
when the New Testament was written, especially the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, who himself was probably in the neighborhood. Now, what I'm trying to do here is to tell you that your children who go to college, because we're just now having graduation services everywhere. Shawnee State just had theirs. They just had a big lawsuit down there that, just, that they lost, by the way, thank goodness, and uh, about some other things, but having to do with homosexuality, transgender, blah, 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 blah. And uh, now what, I, what I'm about to say is our world, our world, through the NEA, National Education Association, and others like them. The NEA is probably the closest thing to a Marxist organization in our federal government. They have control of the books that the kids read that are in the school system. And so our whole system here has been carefully and slowly indoctrinated with really its plain old everyday Marxism. And you would be shocked at the number of major organizations and religious organizations that have been infiltrated by godless Marxism. And that, I know you get tired of me hearing, hearing me say this, but you need to know it because I don't tell you things that I, don't, I haven't researched and know to be true. Otherwise, I would say, this is just my opinion. And what I'm telling you is not my opinion. Norman Gottwall, who wrote the book, The Light to the Nations, that was used at Vanderbilt years ago in the divinity school there, was an avowed Marxist and proud of it. And if you were to Google Norman K. Gottwall, PhD, you would find it's actually said there. And, but these are people who teach in our seminaries. And that's, even the Pope today, now listen to me carefully. The Pope today, most influential religious guy on the face of the earth, admits, and I have it in writing, when he said, Politically, the most influential person that he in his life was a lady who, and by the way, they came from Argentina, and you can get her name and Google it too, who is a teacher of Marxism in Argentina. And he said, this is the Pope now saying, she's politically has been the strongest influence in my life. And if you pay attention to anything that comes out of the Vatican today, you can see it's heavily socialistic and sympathetic toward Marxism. I'm telling you we're way down the road further than you may, than you may know. For years this has been in churches. Why are churches dying? I'm talking about primarily major denominations. Why are they dying? It's because they don't believe the Bible anymore. And it's, it, it's, it's everywhere everywhere. I don't have the time to go down the list, but how, what, uh, of, of alerting you to the gravity of the situation. Marxists, now you all have heard this re recently because of the, the young guy who is in the process of trying to buy Twitter. He, by the way, he was, he was not born in the U.S. He was born in South Africa. Musk was born in, in South Africa from a privileged family, moved to the U.S. and has done all this stuff. And it appears that he really is a strong believer in the First Amendment. 
Now, we place, and this is because I think it's so important, I place out here for all of you for some time copies of the Constitution of the United States. And if you've never recently read the First Amendment, then you need to read it. I've told you for years, other than your salvation, the most important thing you have as an American citizen is your freedom. Millions of people have died to get it and try to keep it. And we're very, very close. See, Marxism believes that you eliminate any competition with their concept. That means you have to ultimately get control of the media and everything else, both printed and otherwise. And, and what do your young people spend more time doing than anything else in their life? You have given them an iPhone, and that iPhone has all of the baloney on it that I've been talking about. So if you're not awfully careful, if you don't monitor that kind of stuff, you're actually contributing to your children and your grandchildren's heretical beliefs that can damn their souls. This is a, a serious issue. The First Amendment is the amendment that talks about freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, and freedom to sue the government if they get out of whack. And, um, and, and so you, you, if you haven't read it, for goodness sakes, read it. It just takes about 30 seconds to read the First Amendment, just about four lines. You need to read it because our freedom, our freedom to preach the gospel and to say the things that I have been saying, and I don't care I really don't care if the government comes after me. I don't think they will, to be honest with you. But I really don't care. What are they going to do to an 85-year-old guy? Kill me? <laughs> I just go to heaven. Why do I care? It's no, not that big a deal. And so, but somebody needs to say it so that you are alerted to what's going on and how pervasive it is. I've, and and, and I've, every time the lottery gets up to about three or four hundred million, I buy a ticket. Because if it got, and one, we'd start a Christian school here the next day. Because I'm convinced that's what, we, that's what we really need to do, is to educate our own children and not contribute to their damnation. Because we're, in the, we're dangerously close to doing that. But what, what does the Bible say about this man Jesus? See, even the pagan world says, oh, he was a good guy. But he was no better than Buddha, you know, Confucius, just name them. All religion is good, it's, it's, it, and so we want to keep it because it's good for mankind. It's good for society. The New Testament teaches what will ultimately, and has in Canada, been called hate religion, a hate speech. Because Jesus, when you quote what Jesus said in the 15th chapter of John, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. That's called hate speech in Canada by their current administration, which is openly and honestly a socialist group. Socialism is nothing more than Marxism Communism is Marxism at the point of a gun. Socialism is Marxism that people have been conned to vote into existence. 
and it's anti-God, anti-Christian, and it and 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 if you can show me a country on the face of the earth that has ever had the freedom that we've had as Americans, please tell me, because I haven't been able to find it. We're the most blessed and fortunate people on the face of the earth, and it's all made possible because this country was founded on the principle of freedom to preach and teach the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, God-breathed Word of God. The Bible says, you know, and, and, and I want you to look at your outline. Now we'll move quickly through that. They made me finish in an hour, in, at 6 o'clock last night because they had supper served at 6. If you all have supper at lunch on at 1245, I'll quit. Uh, I'll be done by then, probably. But let's look carefully at what the Bible says, who this man Jesus is. His enemies, Satan's imps of hell, actually referred to Jesus as God's son. When your enemies confess who you are, when Jesus was began his ministry, he operated almost exclusively around the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is probably 15 miles long and three or four miles across it. And, and, he op and there were all kinds of communities, little communities, all the way around the sea because that's where their water was, fresh water. The Sea of Galilee is not salt water, it's fresh water. And so... Jesus was at, uh, on the east side. There's a steep area, and, and it's called Gadara, G-A-D-A-R-A. It's the home of the Gadarenes, if you read about it there in the 8th chapter of the book of Matthew. And that's where you remember the pigs ran over the hill and drowned. In the, and, and pigs are good swimmers, by the way. But they went over and they drowned there. And, and, and when Jesus approached them, they said to him, you know, please don't send us to hell. P please let us go into the swine which, which took place there. And, that, and they did that recognizing and confessing the fact that he was God in the flesh. Other evil spirits around the Sea of Galilee said the same thing recorded in the third chapter of, of, uh, of the book of, of Mark. And then on the north end of the Sea of Galilee where the upper Jordan flows into the sea and forms the Sea of Galilee. There's a town there. It's, they call it Kafer Nahum. Kafer means village. Nahum is the village that it was named after. We call it in English Capernaum. But it's really there you'll see Kafer Nahum. That's where Peter's mother-in-law lived. I, I have I have fun with my Catholic friends because, you know, the, none of the priests get married, which is a nothing in the Bible about that. They got that from a pagan religion from the Orient. And, and uh, I have fun with them because Peter had a mother-in-law, so we know that, that their first pope, which didn't exist then, uh, but that's what they called him, their first pope was married. And he actually was accused of taking his mother-in-law with him on his travels. In Scripture, it's there. So anyway... I've had fun with that through the years. A few year or two ago, we had a young priest here that Alice Kay and I liked a lot, and we ate lunch with him on occasion. And whenever, the last time I ate lunch with him, uh, I was trying to convince him he ought to get married. 
And I told him, I said, I'll do it for nothing. And up at church, we've got all kinds of women who would love to be married to a priest. You know, I, you know so I, w I did the best I could. And finally, he, he, he threw his hands out like this, and he said, Scott, I can never please a woman. I said, what makes you any different from any of the rest of us? That's no excuse. You know, let's get you a woman and get on with the show. But it didn't happen. He finally left town. He couldn't stand me anymore. But there on the north end of the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum or Capernaum, today they have built a big cover over what they know now was Peter's mother's house. And it was just outside in that area there that there were demons there that Jesus kicked out and who indeed, and, and if you'll take your, take your uh, uh, sermon outline home with you, you can check these texts, but I'm going to have to move on. Who confessed that Jesus was God in the flesh? Now, there are three instances in the Bible where God himself announces who Jesus is. The first one was at his baptism. It was here that he came to be baptized of his, by his cousin. You see, Jesus' mother, Mary, and John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, were related. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized down pretty close to the, in the Jordan River, not far from Jericho. And when he was there... It was John who said, hey, I, I know who you are. I need to be baptized by you, not you, but me. And Jesus said, hey, look, we got some things to work out here. So he, was, he went ahead and baptized him. And it's then that there was a voice from heaven that said, when he came up out of the water and, a, and, a, and an image that looked like a dove descended on, hovered over him. We talk about that tonight. And just like the dove hover, hovered over the waters at creation, you remember, and, cosmo, and chaos became cosmos, the, the Spirit of God hovered over Jesus, and the voice from heaven said, This is my only begotten Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Pay attention to him. And then later on, and this isn't often mentioned, but in the 12th chapter of John, down, uh, there's a section there where... Jesus asked the Father, please glorify your name. And, and a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it in the past and I will glorify it again. That glorification, the word for glorify is interesting. It, it means to bring light on the subject or to bring information for people can understand it. So people would know that name, the name of Jesus and what it really amounted to. The light had a great history. This, this word for glory had great history. When the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, making their way toward the promised land, they were guided by a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire of night. And that pillar of fire was, was called the Shekinah glory of God, indicating the, the, the light from the fire and the presence of God himself. And so what he was saying is, in glorifying the name of Jesus, he is announcing his divinity. This is who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh, who came to carry out the will of his heavenly Father to perfection. The other time that it's mentioned is in the 17th, it's recorded in the 17th chapter of Matthew, in this, in, up on a, a mountain top there. Now, there are only two mountains of any size in Israel. 
there's, there's mountainous country there and down through Samaria in the central part. But the things that, and one of them is at, right at, that separates Israel from today from Syria. It's called Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is, is snow-covered year-round. Can you believe that in Israel? There's snow there, and people ski up there. And, and it, it, it is there, I believe, that the transfiguration took place because the Scripture said it was brilliant and light. Can you know what happens when there's brilliant light on snow? <laughs> Lights up like a Christmas tree. Now, the other one is a mountain that's down uh, just a few miles of, uh, of south, uh, or west, rather, of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and it's never, it never has snow on it. And, 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 but th- those are the two mountains. And, and the transfiguration took place on one or the other. I happen to believe it was on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is 9,500 feet high. The Sea of Galilee is 6,500 feet below, 650 feet below sea level. And the water then flows all the way down to the Dead Sea, which is 1,300 feet below sea level. And so you can see that, that Galilee in that area, that's below sea level, it's comfortable. It's really a nice place to live. So is Jericho. It's beautiful. But anyhow, it is here that you have, the, 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 you have Elijah and you have Moses there on top of the mountain and Jesus. Peter, whose big mouth gets him in trouble, he, he said, you know, why don't we build a tabernacle to each of these three? But the law represented by Moses and the prophets represented by Elijah disappeared. Only Jesus was left, which was to fulfill the scripture that said the law and the prophets were until John, John the, meaning John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist do? He introduced Jesus. And so we have now the ministry. You've got the Old Testament. You have the ministry of Jesus, and they have the, the ministry of the church. That's the way history is divided up. And at the transformation, when, when Moses and Elijah were gone, a voice from heaven repeated, This is my only begotten son. This is my beloved son. I'm really pleased with his life and who he is, obeying my will is what he was really saying. Now, all through the Bible... There are numerous references, uh, especially in the, in the Gospel of John. Now, why John? John is one of the few who writes from a different perspective. Matthew was there. He was an apostle. Mark was not an apostle. He was just a kid that ran around with Peter. And Peter, he wrote down what Peter told him to write down. The book of Mark is really the testimony of Peter. And then Luke was a historian who said he used all of those in order to put together a life of Christ. Actually, I believe that what Luke was doing was trying to save the Apostle Paul's life. Now, you've probably never heard this, and I may be wrong. This is an opinion. I happen to believe that the book of Luke and the book of Acts were put together by Luke to give to Nero to show him that who Paul was, because Paul was under house arrest in Rome, and he had appealed, as a Roman citizen, he had appealed to Nero. And I believe that this, and whenever you have a lawyer, a lawyer puts together uh, the information and, and, and makes it available to the judge. 
And I happen to believe that Mar that uh, Luke and Acts were done that way and presented to Nero, and it amounted to Paul being set free. Uh, he was ar arrested later where he was killed, but he was set free. And so here in the book of John, see, John probably didn't write the book of Revelation and much of the gospel until way late because he was just a kid. Just a, he was the youngest of the apostles. And so he lived to be well up in, uh, in uh, close to 100 years old, and, and he, he died, and there's a tomb there that memorializes his death in Ephesus today. And so uh, when he, he wrote the book of Revelation and, and much of the book of John, looking back, but he was guided by the Holy Spirit in recording to get this stuff accurate, to put in the hands of the church so they would know exactly who Jesus is. I'm here this morning for the same, taking all this time just for the single purpose of equipping you to be able to defend who Jesus is. He is who he claimed to be, and he claimed to be God who had put skin on, come to earth in the form of a man named Jesus to reveal to us who God is, and to then send his Holy Spirit to equip us to show the world who Jesus is. We're letting the wrong people do all the talking. All of the nonsense we hear, that's, and, and they don't say Jesus is a bad guy. Oh, no, he, he's a good guy. But he's no different from all the other religious leaders. He's just a good guy. If that is true, then the Apostle Paul was right when he said, what our preaching is miserable and, and, and our work is in vain if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. The resurrection is the key to everything. Now, the beauty of this is this. Jesus was God's only begotten son. That simply means that he was born of God. The seed of Mary was placed in her womb by none other than the Spirit of God himself, because God is spirit. And the result of that was a young man that, uh, that became aware of who he was when he was at least 12 years old and then lived his life in obedience to his parents and to his heavenly Father. What he did here, you see, in the text that, that uh, Rakesha read was this. He announced to Joseph when when Mary said Jesus you've upset me and your father Jesus response was what hey I must be about my real father's business he was announcing to everybody there most of the people didn't have the foggiest idea what he was talking about but Mary did and Joseph did because they had been told by a messenger from God exactly who he was from time gone by, from years before. So you have the testimony, the, all of these testimonies of who Jesus is. And I put them here from the book of John so that you'll have them in your hand. And if you will, if you will take these passages of Scripture, look them up, and share it with your family, share it with your kids. Let them know that just as Jesus was the only begotten Son, that they and us can become his adopted children. The Bible is abundantly clear when it says that if we put our faith 
our confidence in the fact that Jesus is God's only begotten Son, He will, because of that obedient faith, He will add our name to the, His family history. You then become a child of God, an adopted child of God, because of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and so what I'm here to say is, this is the good news that our world needs to hear. Because all of, our, all of our world is buying into a horrible doctrine that, that, it, that frightens me. Now, we, I had a, you all don't know this, but uh, right before we came in here for the church service to start, one of my granddaughters showed up here. And she's back here with some hairy-legged boy that I got to meet. We had talked to him at lunch, you know. I don't have a shotgun in it with me, because, but I'll scare him to death if I can. And, uh, but make him welcome if you're back here. I want you, I want you to go to, in your Bible to the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. The 16th chapter is, is an interesting chapter. It is here that the Peter is, with, is at the foot of Mount Hermon we talked about. And that's a beautiful, and there's fresh water here that comes up like an artesian well that forms the headwater of the Jordan River. And, and they're standing around here talking, and Jesus is teaching them. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus said to, to his disciples, Look, guys, who am I? And they responded, Well, well some people say, this is a political answer that they give, some people say that. Uh, you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus' response to him was, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in the heaven." What he was saying is, just as, just as my father revealed to me who I am when I was 12 years old, he's revealing to you who I am. Now then, your responsibility is to see that the whole world knows who I am. Now to give that credibility, your life and mine, your life and mine must reflect the dominance of God in our life. If we live like the rest of the world, we have no credibility. None. And, and I had a fellow tell me last night, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not good enough. And, and Dick Tracy, no, you're not. But, sinner, honor old cuss that you are, when you confess that Jesus is the Christ with your mouth, and believe in your heart that He is who He said He is, He will then place His presence in you and assist you in becoming a visible, dynamic, influential person recommending who God is. That's why we're saved, to recommend to the world who God is. We're letting the wrong people do all of the talk, and we're in a heap of trouble as a result of that. Now, the New Testament has many instances that, and I'll, I'm just going to conclude with this, has many instances where it tells us in terms that we can't possibly misunderstand who Jesus is. And, you know, I, I personally believe the most um, 
impressive one is, is uh, contained here in Scripture is when Jesus is tempted by, by the devil. And I want, you to, I want you to just pay real close attention with me for a minute because I think this is really impressive in Scripture. Now, I've told you all for years, and most of you have forgotten it, and that's okay, I'm going to tell you again. In the New Testament, which was originally written in Greek, not English, in the, new, in the Greek language, there are what we call conditional clauses. Conditional clauses always start with the word if, if this is true, if this is so, if this happened. Conditional clauses, and there are four of them. There's the first class condition that says, if this is true, and it absolutely positively is. Second class condition said, if this is true, and it probably is. Third class condition says, if this is true, and it probably not. Fourth class condition says, if it is true, and it ain't. Now, you can't see this in English because in English, you only have the word if. And when you turn here to the fourth chapter of the book of, uh, of, of Luke, if you look very carefully, starting at verse 5, pay close attention because I want you to remember this. The devil himself led him up on a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. Now, I might need to stop there just for a minute. In recent years, there's nothing that upsets me. Can I be a boogerhead for a minute? There isn't anything that upsets me worse than God being blamed for what Satan does. And it happens all the time. You see, Satan is, is the God of this world. He is the God of this pagan world. And the terrible things that happened, what's going on in Ukraine, that's all as satanic as it can be. Because in a world dominated by the devil, there will always be wars and rumors of wars. And so when all of this stuff goes on, quit blaming God. It's a satanic thing. It's as evil as hell itself. And I'm tired of people saying, well, God is in control of everything. Well, he ain't. Ultimately, he will be. But Satan is the God of this world. He told Jesus that, and Jesus didn't argue with him. What did he say? All their authority and splendor has been given to me. And I can give it to anybody I want to. And so he said to Jesus, So if you worship me, it'll be yours. Because Satan already knew that Jesus had come to help reclaim the creation that God had brought into existence to start with. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. <coughs> Excuse me. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. All right, now then, circle this word. It's an epsilon yoda. That's, I'm just telling you that because it sounds like I'm smart. It's really translated into English as if. 
if you are the Son of God, it's how many conditions for? What's the first class condition? If it is true, and it is. So we have Satan saying to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, and you are, throw yourself down and live. Jesus then told Satan where to go. Now that's not the only if here. If you go back over to verse 3, just so you'll know that it's there. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That if is an epsilon yoda, or E-I in English, epsilon yoda, meaning first class condition, translated if. But if old Scott was translating it, I wouldn't put an if there. I would have translated it since. Since you are the Son of God. Since you are the Son of God. Now listen, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you've never repented of your sins, this is the time to do it. This is the time. Don't leave this building until that's done. Because what I've tried to do is to prove beyond all reasonable doubt in any courtroom anywhere who Jesus is. And if you believe it, you have to do more than nod your head. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is a Christ, what you believe in your heart. And repent of your sins, confessing that you're a sinner, and come to Jesus. And God will put in you His divine presence to assist you to overcome your sinful past, your sinful present, and to help you get to the place where the life that you live on a daily basis will recommend to the world who Jesus is. And that's why the church exists. That's why it doesn't exist just to get you to heaven. That's a byproduct of a guarantee. The real reason it exists is to let the world know what even the devil confessed that is true. So please don't go home until you know that if you die this week, you'll go to heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, that you give us courage to speak from a heart that cares. And I pray that you will help us as a group grow in Jesus to the place where Christ can be seen in us on a daily basis by the way we treat people we don't even like, like Jesus did, the way we love each other. Help us, O oh God. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, you're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.